welcome to That Movie Was, a movie discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by my co-host, Michael. That's me. Every episode, we pick a movie to watch and then discuss. What movie did we watch this episode, Michael? Uh, this was my choice, Matt. So I went with the movie Annihilation. Uh, it came out in 2018. Natalie Portman's the main character. We're delving into the sci-fi theme this episode. Sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> the far-flung future of 2019. <laughs> I really just, when it, whenever you got into that, I was just thinking of Mystery Science Theater 3000 just playing with this. Like, you see like <laughs> strings of the sci-fi coming down. Oh, there's a UFO. Oh my God. I love Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> right. Same. Oh man. Yeah. So Annihilation we did this week. And yeah, it's a 2018 film. Um and yeah, this one, I had not seen this before personally. Uh, so this is my first time. And uh, had you seen this before, Michael? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, I'd seen this one time. Okay, so I saw this back when it came out in the movie theaters. And there was this movie app slash like card that you received from the app. It was called Movie Pass. Do you remember Movie Pass? Does that ring yeah, a bell? Yeah, I do remember Movie Pass. That was a ridiculous deal for a while it existed. I know exactly. Okay, so for any of you guys that didn't know what it was, it does. It no longer exists, unfortunately. Well, they uh, couldn't keep up that business model. I mean, they were just losing money. Well, the okay. So what it was is you pay an annual fee and you get a card that works with these AMC movie theaters. It actually, worked for more than just AMC theaters, but it worked for a mm-hmm. lot. And essentially, all you had to do was is that because you were paying an annual fee and you wanted to go see a movie, they had a listings in the app of available movies that you could reserve a seat for. And so it was like $100 for an entire year. But if you think about it and you're like an average moviegoer, I mean, that thing paid for itself by like the ninth or tenth time you went to go see a movie. And you're okay. allowed, you were allowed to see something like, I think it was like, a, a movie a week or something like that that it was free so it was like it really paid for itself but i think what killed it was the fact that the whole point of it was to try and be a model of like to obviously drive more traffic to movie theaters but the going premise was like the only way you can reserve a movie is if you're within a certain distance of the movie theater so you had to be within like a thousand feet of the movie theater to actually reserve a ticket there. So it was meant for those movie goers or, or those people that were out on like a Friday night and they went to mm-hmm. dinner and they're like, you know, oh, we're not ready to go home. What should we do? Oh, let's, you know, let's go see a movie. We can go get into this movie real quick and stuff like that. So good, but it was also like tracking people on their phones to be like, Hey, you know, we see that you're only this far away. Come, come to AMC and see this movie theater. And like back in 2018, I don't know. I feel like people were freaking out about the, the ability for phone <laughs> to track their whereabouts. It seemed they didn't like know that half their apps were already tracking them. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that the thing? It's like, they were just discovering like the big brother esque of app tracking, but to lo and behold, ever since they've been a Google member, you know, they've been tracked anytime. <laughs> Amazon, you were being tracked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Movie pass. That was a, uh, that was a crazy, it felt like it was like one year that that like was really on the scene. Maybe it wasn't even a year. Maybe it was only like a summer. But yeah, I see. yeah, it was. It was like six months. And then what happened was that all these movie theaters kept opting out for their service just because of like, it, I don't know, it wasn't working for them or 
maybe it was those articles about the Big Brother stuff, yeah. but it started becoming just like this thing where, like, you know, you look on the app and there would be no showings near you. There would be no movie theaters near you. And then it also became to the point where, like, um, they, they were very selective with their films. So, like, you can only see their one showing that was happening at, like, 1030 at night. And, like, you know, that was – it got a little too stupid. It got a little too stupid for me. But mm. – Full circling around, that's where I saw it. And I personally liked it. Wasn't meant for this world. Speaking of not meant for this world, Annihilation. (laughs) (laughs) I had to get that segue in. I know that you were trying to wrap it back around, but I was sitting on it. (laughs) You beat me to it, man. You beat me to it. (laughs) But you're right, man. Uh, This movie, it definitely, like, um, I enjoyed watching it. Now, it, watching it again for a second time, I was able to be a little more nitpicky about mm-hmm. it, but I still think that for what it was, it was definitely a good show. And uh, also, I'm going to talk about it more, but just the overall like costume design mm-hmm. and everything they did from like the different colored flowers to the fungus that was growing up in the walls, like uh, the guy they find down in the pool from the previous uh, excavations through the shimmer or this, you know, remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I thought that was super, super uh, well done. Yeah. Yeah. I thought all of the, uh, you know, special effects work and um, costume work was like really, really top notch. Um, but yeah. So uh, written and directed by a gentleman named Alex Garland. Um, we'll get back to him in a second, but also based off of a novel, by Jeff Vandermeer, and it's actually a part of a trilogy called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Annihilation is the first novel in there. But it was adapted from that novel for the screen by Alex Garland. And uh, Michael, have you heard of Alex Garland before? I'm sure that you've yeah. seen some of his movies. Well, yeah, Ex, uh, Ex Machina, right? Yeah, Ex that- Machina. I always get that wrong. I'm like, Mechanica, <laughs> Machina. But. <laughs> Well, yeah, I did see that movie, but I didn't know that this was a book series because yeah. the film does end like a little ambiguous, you know, in the sense that you like it, it comes to an ending and the movie ends, but we you know, it wasn't necessarily a closure type of ending. Kind of let the, the door open slightly. So to think that like if this was initially part of a trilogy, we, uh, you know, one would assume that there's more that goes on after what Natalie Portman does. Yeah, I would be uh, I'd be interested in seeing where it goes from here too. If this is just the first book of a trilogy, um, right? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you already mentioned Ex Machina, um, but Alex Any Garland, other yeah, he actually has a uh, a pretty long career even before that came out. So the um, repertoire of sorts, <laughs> great resume. Yeah, he's he's an English writer, filmmaker. Um, he actually he uh, was a novelist himself and wrote um, the book The Beach that uh, came out in the late '90s. And Leonardo DiCaprio was the uh, you know main um, actor in the movie adaptation. Mm, I had not um, seen that one. I've not seen that one, but it sounds like is it are we talking along the same lines here of it being sci-fi related, perhaps? Or no, like- it's not sci-fi related. It's more of just a uh adventure film, I think, of like a guy backpacking and finding himself. At the beach. At the beach. That's what you do. At the- but then uh <laughs> man, you'll find yourself. <laughs> just keep on walking through the sand, you're gonna find something. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but then after that, I mean, he went on to just be a screenplay writer for movies, and that was uh, 28 Days Later. He wrote 2002, 
um, Sunshine in 2007. That was a uh, pretty good sci-fi movie. Um, Never Let Me Go 2010. Can't say I've seen that. And then Mm -hmm. Dread in 2012. The remake of Dread is really, really good if you've ever seen that. No, I haven't. But now that you mention it, I—I I, I mean, like I've heard it for sure. I just—it's yeah. one of those movies that have uh, eluded my viewing. But oh, I will yes. definitely. Well, it's I'll one that I've—it's on uh, one that I've thought about doing an episode on, on the podcast. And, oh, great, uh, great. Yeah, honestly, that might have to be a, uh, a double future, feature. A future <laughs> <laughs> because there's another movie called um, The Raid that is like basically the same premise but like one's indonesian and one is a american sci-fi movie but um anyways yeah but you're right 2014 that's when he makes his directorial debut when he was the writer director on ex machina and that movie that actually won him or got him a nomination for an academy academy award for best original screenplay so right right yeah and also that i mean I'm a, the name eludes me at the moment, but it's the main actress that plays the robot in that movie. Oh yeah, um, she did like a really star, you know, star performance there. And and the fact that it has a very um, uh, what's the surprise ending? You know, there it's got it's got a little it's got twists and turns in there. I can definitely see that. Yes, definitely. Um, right. I would have never for like, to bring it back to Annihilation and the fact that talking about just like strange endings, I would have never imagined this going into this initial going into this film and seeing for what it was done. I, I didn't think it was going to end the way that good. Yeah. But we will get to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, sorry, I'm, I'm leaving ahead for sure. In that actress uh, who plays the robot in Ex Machina, that's Alicia Vikander. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's who I was thinking of. Yep. And Oscar Isaac, he was an ex machina. He makes a, an appearance in this film as well. I guess uh, oh, Alex Garland oh. is one of those guys who likes to, you know, like uh, bring actors along, kind of like Martin Scorsese, who we um, have talked about on a past episode. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, if anyone doesn't know who Oscar Isaac's face is when it comes to the name, just think of Poe from Star Wars. Yeah, that's, that's right. Probably, yeah, that's probably his biggest role. Huh? Well, as of, I mean, he's been in a lot of pretty good films, to be honest. You know, he was, oh sure. I I don't mean his most. You know, I don't I don't think he had a lot to work with in the Star Wars movies, but I think that they got out in front of the most eyes. <laughs> oh, no, that's then you're correct. I totally agree with you on that. Sam. But uh, yeah, Poe is who we're talking about here. And you're absolutely right. It seems like uh, once you find your niche, I, I, I can see this to be like a recurring theme we're coming across. If we're, if we're going to like um, tiptoe back to our last episode talking about Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. just, uh, when you're a director and you find your niche, you, you know, you, you want to just milk that for all it's worth kind of thing. You know, if you got these actors, you know, they did a good job last time. This is, They'll probably do a good job in the role that you want them to play for the next film. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have your trusted actors. Um, you know, people exactly. that you mesh with. And um, yeah, and, other than Oscar Isaac in this movie, it's a, uh, the rest of the cast is pretty much solidly comprised of females. Um, five mm-hmm. uh, big actresses in this movie that's Natalie Portman, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson. Gina Rodriguez and Tuva Novotny. It's a Swedish name. 
Um, right. I don't know. Yeah. I, the one that ranked, obviously, other than like Natalie Portman, because I always think of Elizabeth Swan from Little Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> but I was thinking of Jennifer or Jason Leigh. And the first thing I remembered from her was uh, The Hateful Eight. Yeah, right. Yeah, she had a really good performance in The Hateful Eight. Um, right. Yeah, that's then, actually the first thing that came to my mind, too, as soon as I heard her voice. <laughs> Right. Yeah. She, uh, I don't, she has a very, um, gritty isn't the word, but her, uh, style of acting is very like, uh, blunt. Blunt is that the word I guess I'm going to use? Cause I'm just thinking of yeah. her role in Hateful Eight and then her role here. I mean, she's a leader uh, in this film and she, uh, she's a woman on a mission and she's, and she's, doesn't you know repeat herself she's very much you know straightforward i'm not going to sugarcoat things with you and then of course for hateful eight she's an outlaw and being you know taken back to get be hung at the stake stuff like that and she's all sorts of uh wicked and blunt and mean and stuff like yeah, that yeah i think blunt's a good word for it she's not beating around the bush <laughs> she just kind of like tells it straight um yeah for sure so but that there's lots of pl- there's plenty of you're totally right though is that very high female roles uh in terms of who we follow the most throughout the film but of course like i said poe oscar isaac is in the film and then one more mention i want to make about one of the actors is uh the scientist who is interviewing natalie portman at the very beginning his name's benedict wong mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He plays in tons of different sci-fi and fantasy movies. hes I know he's in Doctor Strange, of course. He's in a lot of the Marvel stuff. But he also plays in, like I was saying, these sci-fi space-esque type movies. Like he was in Martian with uh, Matt, Damon. Matt, Matt Damon. Exactly. He was one of the head scientists that were constructing the, um, you know, uh Space the spaceship that was supposed to help uh, Matt Damon get off the bar. Yeah, trying to bring him home. Um, exactly, exactly. So. Yeah, I definitely know him from Doctor Strange, and then uh, he was actually um, one of the actors in Sunshine, which was a movie that Alex Garland didn't direct, but he did write. So I guess that's kind of a uh, returning character there too. Yeah, returning yeah, actor. I mean, probably it sounds it sounds about right there, but yeah, that was just a notable mention I wanted to make. He didn't have a super large role, but he is one of those faces that you see play. Maybe it's like a niche role for him, just being like an Asian British, like Asian European guy, and that's mm-hmm. just his role. But you know, he plays the scientist, or he plays you know the monk, or he plays the you know right here he's another scientist, exactly like that. So. Um, but definitely, he definitely filled the role, in what is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about box office and budget a little bit here. Um, now, if you're the one of the ones who saw it in theaters, Michael, then you would have helped out this movie. But overall, Woo! this was a box office disappointment. But there's kind of a reason for that, and it's interesting. Um, Annihilation didn't get a very widespread release. Um, at least worldwide. It was only released theatrically in the United States and Canada um, in early 2018, February 2018, and then two months later in China in April 2018. And so didn't have, you know, it was, I think it was on a good number of screens and theaters, 
but it wasn't, you know, worldwide. Um, and across the three countries, it only grossed 43 million against a production budget of about 55 million. So mm. actually lost money, but it was released digitally on Netflix in basically every other country in March, 2018. And so, oh. I mean, I remember even then, you know, hearing, you know, the kind of drum of excitement for Annihilation. I think maybe some people at early screenings said that, you know, it was good, something worth checking out. And then I heard that it was coming to Netflix and other countries. I myself thought, you know, like, oh, well, I mean, that should be pretty easy to just like, you know, do like a VPN or something and just say you're in where you know like <laughs> sweden uh, yeah. and then just catch it on netflix there um right, exactly so that's probably what a good number of people did um mm. and that probably really uh hampered its you know box office return mm, heard well i mean out of all the busts i've heard from phil is a couple million shy isn't it isn't a huge disappointment i mean me not being a millionaire by even like not even like a fraction of the same. <laughs> I don't know what a million dollars feels like, but as a giant, huge corporation you know, that makes millions of billions of dollars a year making films and stuff like that, a couple thousand, a couple million dollars down the drain, you know, we can recover from that. Yeah, Hopefully. write that off. <laughs> <laughs> These are facts that I'm saying, and nothing's coming out of my ass here. <laughs> Yeah, but I will say, I mean, the film did receive some uh, pretty high praise from the critics um, for visuals, acting, and the story. Um, and then Empire Magazine, I have a quote from them here saying that the film addresses depression, grief, and the human propensity for self-destruction. I'd say check, check, check. It pretty much <laughs> yeah, covers all of those bases. Self-destruction is definitely one of the major themes but also the thought of salvation at the same time, it's kind of, you wouldn't think it just because of like the deteriorating things that happen within this shimmer or this area of like extraterrestrial unknown that they go into the swamp area. But uh, I'm going to talk about as well as the fact that like, you know, there's salvation in this as well for not just, I guess, humankind, because that's what their goal is, but also for Natalie Portman's character, um, at, at, at the end yeah absolutely. but mm -hmm. but another just one more time speaking for a magazine i wanted to talk about the musical score just for the fact that these composers who are jeff barrow and ben salisbury i'm the kind of person that when it comes to a sci-fi film it the music really needs to take me there because you know it's one thing to visually see a ufo but in order to really have me understand what like an unidentified flying object is like that i need to hear it and even though that's like off there's no spaceships in this one the music is what really got me so uh from rolling stones magazine they did an, uh, an interview with one of their uh interviewers and they were talking about how some of their inspiration for this music was from planet of the apes in 2001 a space odyssey and that what they were trying to go for was is that as the film progresses and gets more and more like decayed, they wanted their music to sound like that. Oh, so I know that's interesting. Yeah. So they wanted to like mimic what was happening as they went like further and further progress through their adventure for the music to sound more and more, 
I don't know. Uh, I guess dis- distorted is the way to go about it because yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah, but uh, I just wanted to m- make sure that it got an honorable mention because uh, two reasons. One, I thought that, like I said, a good sci-fi movie it needs a good soundtrack, needs a good musical score. And then secondly, there's about a minute and thirty second segment at the very beginning where they're playing some Crosby, Stills and Nash, and I <laughs> love. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. They picked a great song for Natalie Portman to paint in the bedroom, too. So. Yeah, I actually uh, <laughs> turned to my girlfriend who was watching the movie and said the same thing. I was like, man, I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I honestly like, well, okay, to all you viewers out there, you don't even have to watch this movie in order for us to appreciate Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Just listen to the song. It's called Helplessly Hoping. Amazing, good song. Mm-hmm. But uh, just the fact that like I was listening to those lyrics and kind of trying to correlate to, like what is going on and like Natalie Portman's life in that scene and um, it worked it worked I guess but at the same time it probably wouldn't have been my choice just you know it's this the scene where she's like you know getting you know getting over the loss of her husband and everything like that and you know it just didn't seem like it fit very well but like you know I'll give it a passing grade. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm not gonna <laughs> argue that I don't like hearing that song. So <laughs> that's I know. It's fine. If there's anything that I'm taking away from this, just thank you for picking uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Yeah, if they want to give those guys some royalties. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. So uh, let's get into a little, you know, two sentence synopsis of this movie, um, and then you, listener, can decide if you haven't seen this movie it's if it sounds like something you might want to be interested in watching so lena a biologist and former soldier joins a mission to uncover what happened to her husband inside area x a sinister and mysterious phenomenon that is expanding across the american coastline once inside the expedition discovers a world of mutated landscapes and creatures as dangerous as it is as it is beautiful that threatens both their lives and their sanity Right. Good synopsis. Good to know. That basically sums it up in a nutshell. And uh, thank you. Thank you for adding that. Like, I usually imagine like the Powerpuff Girls, chemical sugar, spice, and everything nice. (laughs) There was no sugar and spice or nice things in this movie. I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there was uh, was a little bit of spice. (laughs) (laughs) A little spicy. A but, but yeah, yeah that's, if that's that's synopsis, synopsis. you know, if, if it sounds like something that you might be interested in watching before we go a little further into plot and spoilers comes with the territory, then go ahead and pause the episode right now. Rejoin us afterwards. Um, but yeah, if not, then uh, I, I will say um, had a little bit of trouble finding this movie just because it's not currently streaming on any U.S. streaming services. Um, of course you can always rent it on Amazon or, um, you know, those other means, but it has been on Netflix and other streaming services in the past. And, you know, things get added and taken off time and time again. So it'll probably be on them in the future. I'd say too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, you did mention that it was on Netflix too. And everything like that. And I was lucky to have it on my computer or whatever like that. But, uh, who cares, man? You know, AMC movie theaters are just open back up. You can spend $3 to rent this movie instead of going to the AMC theaters. And it's good, like we said. And so without a do, Matt, you want to j- jump right into the plot? Yeah, definitely. 
So, uh, yeah, we're introduced to Lena, who Natalie Portman plays. Um, as I said before, she is a biologist, also a former soldier. Um, her husband, Oscar Isaac, uh, I think is a current soldier. And he had gone into, um, well, let's just say he's been missing for a year. <laughs> he yeah, was kind of yeah, short exactly. on details about <laughs> where he was going when he was talking to her. Exactly. But, I think it's, I think what is she, she's a professor at uh, Johns Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah, exactly. And then, so her husband is presumably dead because he's been MIA for over a year, over a year. So yeah, she's basically like a widow now, or at least taking on the personality or outlook of a widow. Like there's that time where she gets meeting with a coworker or something like that, mm-hmm. gets invited to barbecue and she's like, no, I'm going to go paint the bedroom because everyone loves painting bedrooms instead of going to barbecues with friends, right? Yeah, equally fun. Equally fun. <laughs> paint drying is just as fun. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do is watch paint dry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, when we're introduced to her, she's grieving. She's, you know, uh, dealing with, I guess, coming to terms that her husband is not coming back. It's been a year since she's heard from him. She's not getting any responses when she writes, you know, to um, his uh, well, platoon mates platoon or the mates. army, I guess. Yeah, you know, anyone that was a part of his, you know, squadron has doesn't even know anything about it, doesn't know anything about what's going on. So, yeah, very strange, very strange in the sense that, like, he, she's this grieving woman that has no idea what happened to her. Yeah, she's not getting closure, so she just feels like she has to kind of make her own. But lo and behold, yeah, she's repainting one bedroom one night, and uh, who comes through the door but Oscar Isaac? Humming Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was humming anything. I think he was he was he didn't know no. what a song was at that point. No, but I'm just saying that's what I would be doing. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. <laughs> doing a little dance number up the stairs. <laughs> It was. I have to say, this scene made me like uncomfortable for the sense that it was just such a like abrupt entrance into the home, and she's like so ecstatic with seeing the like you know my husband who hasn't been uh, what's happened or anything like that. She's yeah. so overwhelmed, giving a hug, and he's just like robotic, no hug back given, like you know doesn't show any sort of like uh, emotional expression on his face and isn't and then it's just it just was a very weird like coming together again oh definitely yeah i mean it's it's his home but he feels like an intruder basically i mean he's just quiet coming up the stairs isn't saying much of anything she tries to you know come up and give him a big hug and a kiss and he's just standing there stoic it's all just very weird and um yeah, I mean, he can't remember where he's been. He can't remember anything, you know, much of the details. And um, he takes a sip of water and, you know, there's some blood that leaves his mouth. And anyways, Natalie Portman calls, you know, the paramedics, um, come and take him to the hospital. And by this point, he's really um, bleeding. I think he has, you know, internal organ failure. 
Yeah, he's he's not doing good. He's and then, not great. And the like, he's like, I'm not feeling too good. And then the next scene is them in the ambulance, and he's like throwing up blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's really not doing good, guy. So yeah, not doing so but, hot. Yeah, but then he gets just the whole ambulance gets pulled over by these black sh- police Chevys or you know uh, SWAT team Chevys, and then they, and then next thing you know is there uh, Natalie Portman gets. Uh, you know, she gets slipped to Mickey. She gets knocked unconscious and wakes up in like this almost correctional facility. They got her dressed up in the orange scrubs and everything. Yeah, it was like orange is a new black or something. Just <laughs> exactly. exactly. I don't yeah. know why they have to dress her up like a prison mate because I'm not sure either. She wasn't necessarily in prison there, but I guess she was in a sense. They had on yeah. hands. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, she. You're right. She's taken to that government secret facility area x um and yeah so i mean uh here she gets talking to uh jennifer jason lee um who in the movie is a psychologist named dr ventress um and talks to her and we we as the you know viewer kind of get a idea about what's going on here that three years prior to this a uh, thing called the Shimmer um, happened when a uh, meteor crash landed inside a lighthouse on the coast, some, you know, nondescript southern coast. Um, But yeah, I mean, since then, uh, it's been slowly expanding over the course of three years. Um, Right. It's this this light that it's producing. So, like, I guess that's what, (laughs) you know, hey, light, lighthouse, there's, you know, a little bit of uh, imagery theme right there, but uh, yeah, it's whatever. It's this like sh- curtain, this shade of like glimmer. It's uh, or I don't even know. It's just trippy colors and everything like that. That's just expanding around from where the meteor hit the lighthouse. But I mean, that was three years ago. It's pretty big now. It's almost take it took off like the whole coast and everything. It's like really, really a whole. It takes up this whole swamp. Actually. Oh yeah, and then so. Yeah, and so now we're under the understanding that Dr. Ventress tells uh, Lena that, you know, we got to figure this out because it's expanding and we don't know what to do with it. And it'll eventually take over the world by, at the, you know, if we don't stop it, it's going to just keep expanding. And uh, every, every team or drone or whatever they've sent into the Shimmer to do more investigative work hasn't returned. So, except for one awesome. person. Except for one person, right? Exactly, and it's 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 Oscar Isaac here, who uh, his character goes by Kane mm-hmm. in this film. So, but as we know, Kane is in this like multiple organ, like you know, dysfunction. He's still in like very intensive care at this facility that they've both been taken to. But Natalie Portman is being brought there because for her biological, uh, you know, no, there's intelligence or oh, intelligence wow. <laughs> right specifically specifically she's working with cell development and understanding what cells do and everything like that and i think that's what the major theme revolves around this is the fact that you know all these organisms and everything like that it's just like everything's deriving from the cell i think it's at the very beginning where she's having her she has like a lecture at the very beginning when we meet her in her classroom at the college and she's mm-hmm. talking about the uh cell formation how everything derived from a single celled organism that came you know how many you know billions of years ago the planet's been around so 
it's a, it's a, I think at least for this film, the film and for her role in it and as this type of biologist is very interesting. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. This was the, uh, one of the right people to bring on the team. <laughs> Cellular <laughs> yeah. biologist. Exactly. Um, That's super lucky. Cause we got this, who knows, man, she could have just been this, you know, house mom that got taken away because her husband <laughs> is exposed to all this stuff. And everyone like that. But lo and behold, she's actually like the key to there to solving the mystery, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a house mom, that's not the worst person to bring her around. I mean, they, uh, when the bear starts attacking, they're like, no, put that down. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Make yourself big. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this, uh, this team we're talking about, it's going to be composed of uh, Lena, cellular biologist, Dr. Ventress, uh, a psychologist, and um, three other uh, females. We have a physicist named Josie, a geno, or no, what is it? A geomorphologist, named Cass and a paramedic named Anya. Um, right. Right. So do, do we ever understand the reasoning behind why this team went in as all females? Because like, so they sent out that team prior, of course, that we'll, we'll come into more understanding later on, but uh, they were all males. So was that right. the process behind that? Like, I'm not just, what was the understanding of sending out just this whole female team? Yeah, I don't know that they ever directly address it. I know at one point, um, I mean, one of the uh, uh, actresses, she says, um, you know, all all male, uh, you know, military people have gone in beforehand and, you know, they've either um, been killed or killed each other. So, like, you know, that now they want to send in, you know, scientists in there instead of military personnel but they didn't say why they all had to be female um maybe it was just coincidence yeah i don't know perhaps perhaps yeah who knows you know boys drool girls rule you know yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i have heard that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah the uh all these ladies, they get their introductions. Um, and yeah, they, I mean, all five of them enter into the shimmer, um, which as you said, is just kind of like a, uh, big force dome. field. Yeah. Dome of light. And, um, yeah, and I, some, sort, I think some sort of like unknown energy. Right. The visual design of this movie is really cool because I mean, you know, obviously all of this is, um, cg that they're working with with the shimmer and stuff but Mm -hmm. uh once they actually get inside um the i guess lighthouse is within a national park so it makes sense that there's some foliage but like inside it just seems like everything you know in this three years has gotten on some type of steroids like you know like all the trees are like you know overgrown and it just feels like a rainforest in there it's uh really cool I think they picked the perfect setting for something like that because, uh, well, two things. One, you're right. It's a national park that they're going through or at least coming across in order to get to the shoreline, which has this lighthouse that they're getting to. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily sure the shore is a part of the park or whatever. Oh, that's true. But uh, it's the fact that they chose a swamp. And, I mean, from the fact that most swamps are inhabitable from their marshness or whatever, the 
bugs and uh, humidity and the, just all all together the um, like the overall vegetation life yeah. and everything like that makes it inhabitable to pick that in order to enhance the imagery because that's what we see this shimmer is doing it's making everything you know m- that much more impressive in terms of visually pleasing and like the flowers being bloom and the trees being lush with green the best place to do that would be a swamp because most of that stuff is untouched by humankind anyway it's just for the fact that it's so unlivable and the fact that now that we have this essence that's making it that much greater it's really really i like I don't want to be there where they're at. I want to go live in this lush environment. <laughs> this, is, this, this is the Garden of Eden. Until you start hearing some banjo music. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It, uh, it, is, it does look kind of nice to be in, um, you know, at least for a day. But uh, yeah, right. I mean, they go in there and... Um, we learn a couple of things here right off the bat. Uh, so Lena has a, uh, maybe a dream or, you know, a vision where we learn as the audience that she had a past affair with a colleague, the one who invited her to the uh, barbecue earlier on in the movie. Right. And then she wakes up from that and comes out of a tent. Um, and, they conclude from, I guess, the amount of rations that they've already eaten that three or four days have passed, but they don't remember anything after entering the shimmer. Exactly. It's like they they covered their tracks almost, or at least that's what the shimmer's goal was there, is that upon entering it, you can't just exit because right. there's – it's, well, it's multiple things that are happening because uh, one of them is a communications expert and all of her radio signals are getting scrambled. And mm-hmm. then, uh, or, or, and she pulls out a compass and you can't, the compass has no bearings. So luckily enough, they, they were able to decipher south by the old watch to the sun trick. You take the watch hand, the hour hand to the, the sun, and then you find half the distance of that or it's half of where the hand is matching i'm not i'm not bear grills here so i don't know yeah i wasn't a boy scout <laughs> if you guys ever get lost in the woods you can find out where you want to go without a compass using your watch and the sun don't know how look it up yourselves <laughs> look it up on the phone that you have that is operating while you're lost in the woods <laughs> you're the ones in the woods right now all right like don't don't asking me to figure that shit out yourself but. if you're in the woods and all you have is the download of this podcast <laughs> we, we can't help you <laughs> yeah, yeah don't listen to our 40 minutes here because we're not going to help you get out of the woods <laughs> right but, oh man yeah, everything's everything is kind of disorienting and um speaking of the affair when i first watched that i thought the affair was kind of um unnecessary like yeah if, you know she might have had an affair and stuff like that and you know shame on her if and um i guess it's kind of just peeking into her past mistakes because that becomes an underlying theme here that we'll all discuss further but uh I guess that's what we were trying to get a sense of for the main character. We learn later on through, I believe, Shepard, who tells us the backgrounds to all the other girls that are in the 
the troop here. But since we're following Natalie Portman, we're seeing firsthand of her past mistakes and everything like that. Although, you know, it, I, like I said, I think this film could have done without us, you know, picturing Natalie Portman in an affair right now, you know, because she's not with her husband who's now MIA and everything like that. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that they kind of try and address it later on the movie. I mean, they say that, you know, hey, these five women, you know, none of them would be in here if like everything was going right in their lives. Right. And so they're all broken in some way. And so they decided to go on this, you know, for what could be a suicide mission. For the the sake of the world, but it's, you know, it's because, you know, what else am I doing in my life kind of thing? What other goods do I have going on in my life right now that I can, you know, put stop me from thinking like this would be a bad idea or, you know, none of them have, um, any sacrifices you know they wouldn't be losing anything if they were lost in there you know there's not any sort of support system like you know family or anything like that that's dependent on them to keep them alive and natalie portman's her main goal right here is to um you know save uh her husband that's what that's her whole goal there is to, to understand more about what's going on here and this phenomenon. But it's the fact that, you know, her husband is directly correlated with what's going on here. Right. Right. Yeah, Maybe figure right. out a little bit more of what's going on. Right. Yeah, exactly. But that, that's all. That was all my comment about that. You know, it, the affair didn't need to be there, in my opinion. But I understand the fact that we're trying to get a understanding of these women's past mistakes. Yeah, definitely. And so, exactly. yeah, as the uh, the five women are trying to make their way to the lighthouse, they do encounter um, a lot of things that are, you know, Earth-like, but also just alien. You know, weird things in here. They, they, there's mutated plants. There's mutated animals. Um, mm-hmm. We do uh, we do see our first um, instance of a mutated animal. It's a uh, you know albino yeah, alligator. Albino. Yeah, exactly. But he's so got shark-like teeth, you know, like rows of teeth, like a shark has. Um, after Natalie Portman kills it, right? Exactly. So, uh, and I think the first plant thing. So yeah, what they come across is they come across as abandoned cabin kind of thing. It's right on this lake water and stuff like that. And they manage to find a boat in order to, to traverse the swamp area to get close to the destination. But before doing that, I believe it's. Um, Reddick is the woman, the, uh, the the communications expert. She gets pulled into the water by an albino ginormous alligator, like really, really some twenty feet foot long alligator here. But then gets its brain, its brains blown out by Natalie Portman <laughs> with a machine gun. So, like, I think part of the reason I like this film so much was the fact that uh, it, it didn't shy away from uh, being a little bit of gruesome for a sci-fi film. It was kind of, it has blood moments. Let's just say that. Oh yeah, there's definitely horror elements, and uh, yeah, it's, I would say it's horror sci-fi, or at least dabbling along the fence there. We definitely but get into some of those horror elements when they get to the army base. Exactly. Exactly. And but I think the first real sign, and it's always following Natalie Portman's character because she's the one that makes is making these discoveries uh, in terms of her knowledge in biology and whatnot. But it was the flowers that were growing alongside this cabin and the plant because 
uh, the plant itself was comprised of so many different flowers with different colors and everything like that, but it all came from the same plant. So it's the fact that this one thing was spewing out different uh, and also symmetrical. It, it was like a DNA, you know, a double helix kind mm-hmm. of thing, that, that perfect symmetry of the fact that this plant was putting out like three or four of the same different plants over and over and over again, but they were all four different, completely, you know, unique uh, flowers or whatever. Right. It's something on a genetic level that shouldn't be possible. Exactly. Exactly. And so uh, luckily enough though, they get away from the alligator. And then uh, that's when we first discovered that these ladies all have some broken past because Lena and Shepard, two of the ladies, they're in their own canoe and just talking about, you know, I guess really just shooting shit kind of thing, passing the time in the swamp. But it's there that we learn that uh, two things are happening. Lena um, does not want to share this information that her husband, Kane was the man that came back from the trip. Because these ladies knew that there was a survivor from the last crew, but they didn't know who it was or what he looked like or anything like that. Right. And so we find out that Lena wants to keep that life of hers a secret. And uh, we also find out that yeah, these ladies are doing this because they really don't have anything else going on in their life. No one else is depending on them. And they know that it's their, through their expertise in their specific fields. That's why Dr. Ventress chose them in, in order to do this, you know, save, save hum, humankind kind of mission. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, we learned that Cass, you know, the other lady in the canoe, she's lost her daughter. Um, Shepherd, we're talking right. about, yeah, and uh, Josie, uh, she is a uh, cutter, or you know, as slashes yeah. all down her wrists. So yeah, the, those kinds of you know, just like we said before. I mean, they all have you know their issues that brought them to this place. Yes, I guess we're calling it self. We want to come. Yeah, it's the theme, self destruction here. So we learn. I guess we get a taste of that through the affair, you know, and that uh, dream that Natalie Portman had. That even though she was technically, you know, still married and stuff like that, she was self destructing her way in the sense of you know being unfaithful. And then of course, you know, yeah, and, you know, one of the excuse me, one of them was a. Uh, drug abuser the other one you know she physically harmed herself uh and then i believe dr ventress we find out is she's leading this for two reasons one she's head she's headed all the other groups that came prior to them so now she has this sole mission in her mind that you know if they can't do it then then i gotta do it Mm-hmm. She, she, she needs some closure in her life to figure out what's going on here. So that's her. But she also has um, her main reason is, is that she has cancer. So she was already on the verge of death. So it didn't matter whether or not, you know, she came out of this alive or not. But before she died, she knew she wanted to, you know, fulfill this last mission or whatever like that. But yeah, that's the theme here is that these women all revolve around self-destruction and it becomes much more and more relevant, not just from their past, but what's currently happening through them and their shimmer and the adventure they're having that the, those self-destructive habits, habits follow them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they uh, they canoe down this uh, 
swamp and eventually reach a aman- abandoned military base. Um, this is where I feel like the uh, the movie kind of ratchets up the horror vibe a little bit. Um, well, more than a little bit based on what we see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they find out that, um, hey, this uh, military base is abandoned now, but actually the um, you know last people to venture into the Shimmer uh, they also, uh, you know, were stationed here, and um, that was a uh, Kane's expedition. And like exactly. you said, at this point, nobody except for Doctor Ventress knows that Lena is Kane's wife, and that's probably for the best here, because exactly. they find a uh, video that says, uh, "Whoever follows, watch this." Just something along those lines, and it's uh Kane <laughs> cutting open another soldier's abdomen and uh man this was um you know <laughs> almost made you want to like you know turn your head as he's doing it what's going on here cuts out a big big uh circle of his abdomen and then you see his intestines kind of slithering around like you know some sort of uh tapeworm or snake um, <laughs> it was it was it was kind of gross looking. It yeah. was, it was, but imagine these ladies here, man. <laughs> like you know, they didn't. <laughs> they're already in like unknown territory and stuff like that, and they see this strange video, and they're just like, "Oh, I wonder what this is going to be about." <laughs> Next thing you know, this guy's cutting open his friend and stuff like that, and they're just like, "Oh my god, this is, this is gross." Yeah, but super really unsettling. It really, really was. But at this point, I found that maybe that was. I mean. Uh, maybe for at least from what we know later on in the film is that like you know these changes that are going on within their bodies because all of them are kind of understanding here that you know something's happening not just through things around them but happening to them as well but of course one of the I think one of the women says like you know it's a trick of the light she's in she's in complete denial about it but mm-hmm. these changes become more and more like prevalent and you can actually see it on your hands because one of the women later on in the film, she can actually see her fingerprints moving. So my question is, is why do these guys feel obligated to show this uh, into the camera by cutting open this guy's gut, you know? When they could have just looked at their hand and been like, you know, oh, those fingerprints are moving. Let's, let's, let's look at this instead of my guts moving around in my body. Uh, I guess they were all just going a little crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, they had a little bit of that reefer madness. They had some of that shimmer reefer and they had a little reefer madness. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I bet that you can get some real good plants in the shimmer. <laughs> Everything's so overgrown. Just exactly, right? Right. Yeah, well, trees. <laughs> well, after viewing this, okay, so first thing we notice is that um, you know, Ventress and lena luckily enough they were behind the first three women look in the film so no one actually saw natalie portman react to the fact that kane was one of the people shooting that video but ventress then leaves to go find out where they were doing this and finds the i guess it was a pool uh, some sort of lap pool that they had established at the base there and this is where I feel like this, the, you know, costume designer slash graphic designer really gets his notoriety here because from seeing the guy that was cut open from the film being 
transformed into this fungus, you know, Petri dish almost type of splatter on the wall, but also having his, you know, his body, half of his body is still, you know, his lower half is still attached to the ground where his feet's touching the floor, but then it's 10 feet up is the first, is the top of his torso, you know, with his like head split open and everything like that. It's disgusting. And of course we're looking at a dead body here and everything like that, but the, imagery of just this how this fungi has grown on the wall but also the fact that it's multicolored it's almost kind of horrifically beautiful yeah it's like a yeah like a horrific piece of art just exactly on this wall right um, but yeah, it's, it's a truly, very cool set dressing right exactly but it, at the same time it is very disgusting and at least for these women they are freaking out now because I mean, they're starting to get a real taste of the dangers of being here because it's not just the things around them. Like I said, it's them changing. And um, but they, of course, you know, now that they're at this base and it's close to sundown, they they can't really go anywhere to find a new location. So they have to hunker down for the night. And because, you know, they're also going to run into more albino alligators. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, or worse, <laughs> but well, yeah, we'll find that or out. Worse. <laughs> so yeah, they they do stay there overnight. They actually find a, um, I think it's a, like a guard watchtower, um, and uh, yeah, Natalie Portman, she is looking at a, it, I guess just a sample that she had found under a microscope. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing just. Things that I would, you know, assume in her career as a uh, cellular biologist, she <laughs> never expected right. to see just, I mean, some, um, you know, really crazy uh, things here. Right. And, I think I think what she's examin- examining is a sample of the fungus she took off the wall of the guy that ended up, you know, dying, the platoon mate or whatever like that. And what she noticed is that the cell that reformed, because fungus being a living thing, you know, and having cells, the cells can still morph and everything. And I think it was the fact that, like, the cell that got cut and turned into two cells was a completely different cell from the one that it just got replicated from. And so that's what was freaking her out. And she has another very similar like discovery later on in the film, which we'll talk about again. But yeah, it's at that point that she, you know, they're, you know, uh, so all sleeping, but they're still holding watch and everything like that. Because I believe wasn't it that the platoon that came before were doing guard watch for whatever reason. So they they said, we'll do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. So Natalie Portman goes down to see Ventress who it was her turn to do the rounds and be on guard and everything like that. But it seems like everyone else is waking up at the time too. And Shepard is the third girl that goes down from the guard tower to join them and see what's going on and everything. Yep. And here's where things start going wrong. They hear a, uh, you know, rustling noise out of the woods, rustling. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the base is attacked by a mutant bear. Um, and it actually drags, uh, you know, Cash Shepard away, um, screaming. And, uh, but I think it's only Lena and Dr. Ventress who see it because, you know, it's nighttime, dark. And, uh, you know, they're the two that have, um, you know, maybe night vision goggles. Yeah, night vision goggles. The only thing that got me about this scene was is that when we first see Shepard walk to this, you know, guard 
hut, I would call it. You know, they're all sleeping in the guard tower, but then they go down the stairs mm-hmm. and they're right in front of the chain fence and it's one of those like guard posts, I'll call it. Stuff like that. Shepard is only five feet, six feet tops away from where Lena and Dr. Ventures are, which is actually like inside the hut itself. Yeah. And the first thing is that there's a break in the chain fence but how did none of them notice this ginormous like i know it's dark but this the moon's out and they don't see any sort of silhouette of this like ginormous creature come towards shepherd and drag her away back before towards the fence like it just seemed oh, like man oh, by the time you see it it's too late <laughs> yeah, I, guess, no, I, I know how you know sneaking maybe this bear is like you know a, a Bengal tiger in the in the high tr- the high grasslands, you know, he, he, he can just be super elusive and sneaky the entire time. But I, I don't know, man. That's a you know a ton. That's a thousand pound bear. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe he's uh, maybe he's evolved some sneaking skills. <laughs> <laughs> he made sure to put on his slippers when he went and invaded the uh, the army base, just so he wouldn't make a wouldn't make a sound. Yeah, put all his points into uh, sneaking skills. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's, he has a plus seven sneak level, man. No one's gonna find him. He has no charisma, but God nope. is he sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so drags uh, Cassaway screaming, you know, and all the girls are, you know, shaken up. Of course, uh, the women are shaken up. But what, what can they do? You know, can't gonna, do anything. They're gonna go. T- the, the screaming stopped, and they can't chase this black thing into the nighttime, only to be what picked off, maybe or worse. So yeah, they just you know they have to chalk it up to ah shit, we lost a guy. <laughs> yeah. We well, they do but, set off in the morning, and um, I mean they do come across a uh, disembodied foot, <laughs> and so I think you know there's kind of um, Doctor Ventress. At you know who we said in the past is you know cold uh brash she says yeah, yeah it's it's too late you know like it, it, we, we need to keep on going. highly doubt she's still alive but natalie portman still holds on the hope that she might be alive um but i think they we see something here before okay obviously okay so what happens here guys is that natalie portman finds shepherd's body unfortunately she's got her throat ripped open by this bear's mouth yeah. process she is she is not long for this world anymore. Super but nice. the first thing that she does come across though are these two deer or elk. I know elk's way too big. I know what I'm talking about. They're like deer. But yeah, um, yeah the thing is is that um, these deer are growing flowers out of their antlers. They're so they're even they're very, very beautiful white, you know, white tailed creatures and stuff like that. But I think we're coming to understand, at least in this film, is that there's definitely some sort of crossbreeding happening, but we know crossbreeding only happens between similar species. So, you know, between two different flowers to, you know, you can create a different flower off of these two different flowers, but it's gotta be flowers. But what we're seeing here is that this refraction of this, you know, mutation is happening between plants, animals, humans, doesn't matter, any living organism, stuff like that. But whatever has the dominant genes is what holds true in the mutation. So these deer were mutated with flowers, but the majority of the mutation was with the deer. So that's why it still looks like a deer, still acts like a deer, but it's got flowers growing on its head. Yeah, I thought that was a uh, pretty cool scene too. Um, Right. So, yeah, it's just just a little more, I think a little little, uh, 30 second of – 
us getting a better understanding of it's not kind of putting the pieces together of what is happening in terms of this mutation because we still don't really know what's going on we right. just kind of know that things are crazy things are ha- things are going crazy with the mutations the mutations are also happening to humans and now we're understanding that you know not it's dangerous Right, and that's before they completely spell it out. But yeah, I mean, so they the team of now four women just reach an abandoned village, um, and there they discover some plants that uh, you know are kind of formed in the shape of humans, um, which was interesting. And right, I was trying. I was. I was. That's exactly what they look like. They look like they're, they look like you know shrubbery. It looks like bushes, but the bushes actually have body like motion it looks like there's someone actually like made it and trimmed it to look like a human mm-hmm. and my thought was maybe there were like people that were buried nearby and perhaps maybe because I, I was like thinking like how did these plants because the thing that dr ventures made sure to mention when this first started happening this phenomenon is that they you know not only is it in a swamp so it's already pretty inhabited but anyone that was living there they got evacuated so how did these plants start to look like humans and so my thought process is that maybe it's because they were near a burial ground and the you know the buried remains were able to get mutated with these plants here yeah i was wondering that myself and that that would explain it because i was like Man, are, were these people who were already in the town? But yeah, like you said, they got evacuated. Yeah, like they were like literally walking and just got turned into plants immediately. That doesn't seem to be following the and gist of how the plantation works. So I that was didn't make wondering if maybe it were was you know other teams who had been sent in, but then I mean the plants weren't only in the shape of men, but also women and children. And Two, yeah, women exactly. and children had been sent in before, so that didn't explain it either. So. I could I could go with the uh, burial ground. Yeah, right. Like, like that one, yeah, that's kind of the only <laughs> that's kind of the only thing I could have kind of like put my my mind around in that sense. Just because everything had to have some sort of you know interaction with one another, there had to be some sort of you know being in the shimmer. What what was happening there? Yeah. So that's at least what my thought process was. But regardless, it's this, it was cool. Yeah. Looking. <laughs> it was. It was, and, I, and whoever actually created those shrubs to put into the film looked awesome. Uh, Do you think those were real? With the budget that they had, probably. Oh really? Okay. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but they definitely didn't look fake. Because okay. you can. I mean, luckily enough, my mom's a florist growing up, so I was around a lot of flowers. You can really tell the difference between fake flowers and real flowers, and luckily not. I mean, who knows? They, those could be even computer-generated flowers, but they didn't look like uh, the fake plastic ones you get. Yeah, CGI is what I was thinking, but I mean, that's it. It just goes to show you that that a lot of the CGI in this movie is really top-notch. I mean, you know, it's it is it's it something is. that if somebody had this idea, even you know, ten years earlier in two thousand eight it would have just looked like terrible. But yeah, yeah they but... would have had to rely that much more on like the, the acting and the screenplay yeah. and things along those lines instead of what, and that's, I think that's kind of like the, the beautiful thing about sci-fi movies is that now we're just getting, cause we already knew that, you know, take Blade Runner, for example, 
or you know any other great sci-fi movie, Dune, for example. They're coming out in the Dune here in 2020. For so that movie was great back in 19, I think it was 70 something. But now here we are, 40 years later, 50 years later into the future with our advancing in CGI. I just know that as long as we hold true to being a good story writer and having good acting along the lines, CGI is always going to make these films that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? definitely. For sure. And so it's once this group gets to this abandoned uh, village that uh, Josie theorizes that the shimmer functions as a prism for DNA and that it distorts and transforms everything that walks into the shimmer. Right, yeah. consumes, so exactly i think because she because she had that first initial uh explanation of why the radios and her their comms weren't working so she, it wasn't just radio signals that were getting you know uh refracted like you said through this almost like you know i'm thinking back to like science class of actually like a colored prism where you shine light through and reflects all the light that's exactly mm-hmm. what's happening here with just every every dna you know, the shimmer is that prism and anything that goes through it becomes uh, all these different, you know, shades of color and mutations and everything like that. So you're absolutely right. And um, I think who it's Anya. Anya is the one that is she's flipping out a little bit. Yeah, she's having trouble keeping it together. She's the one who, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we see her looking at her hands at one point, and it's because she can see her fingerprints are moving, which, granted, I would be very uncomfortable with that as well, but (laughs) she does, uh, you know, kind of go off her rocker here. (laughs) Right. It all started. And I think it all started from her viewing that video and things like that and seeing what happens. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm going to make this correlation. Now she had that infinity tattoo on her left forearm on the inside of it. I don't know. Right. No, no. Anya did at the beginning. Yeah. That was her initial tattoo, but with the refractory and everything like that, that took place. Lena is the one that leaves with it on her arm when she leaves the shimmer when she's getting interviewed and stuff like that. Oh, so that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah, realize so I, that. I don't know if you noticed that, but that's exactly what happened with the fact that, you know, they got mutated to the point where, like, her skin literally changed into Anya's uh, like arm, you know? Like, her skin got mutated to refract that uh, tattoo she was rocking. But, right, Anya is losing her her marbles right now. She doesn't trust Lena or Dr. Ventress at this point with the fact that, you know, they didn't see what happened to Shepard. And like I said before, the longer these people are in the shimmer, it's not just their physical attributes that are changing. I think they're also losing it mentally, whether everything is just a fog or they're kind of breaking down to their initial just bad habits, right? Because we were talking about all these guys have bad, you know, past self-destructive habits. And it seems that everyone's kind of just uh, not fully uh, 100% brain activity. They're, the light bulb's only, you know, half working. Yeah, it's dimmed. <laughs> <laughs> it's dimmed for that sexy sensual mood that's what they're going for <laughs> speaking of sexy and sensual Anya ties them all up 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. I thought it was like very abrupt in like initial doing of that, but yeah, she gets um when Anya we see a point when they find a house to go stay at in this village and they're gonna crash for the night. It, Anya actually sees her fingerprints moving and we actually get a taste of that and she's she's freaking out. And I don't know if necessarily Natalie Portman found out about it, but she does. But uh it's through seeing that and then I believe this happened before Natalie Portman is um, isn't she uh, at the kitchen t- table looking under the microscope pricking her own blood or was that after this this was before this happens um, excellent okay great so right so Anya first sees that her skin is moving and then Lena who takes a little sample of her blood can see the same sort of uh, cell reaction that was happening in the fungi she was saying earlier. So now it only proved her point that now that whatever was happening out around them was happening to them as well. Right. So now, yeah, they know that they've been affected as well. Um, and yeah, when the group goes to, um, well, so yes, Anya, uh, ties them up. Yeah, she... Natalie Portman hits her with the butt of a gun, knocks her out. And when she wakes up, um, they're all tied up. All of the three of them, uh, Dr. Yeah. Ventress, Josie and Lena. And uh, Anya now knows that um, Lena at least knows Kane because of the locket that she has around her neck that, mm-hmm. you know, has been taken off. Right. Um, she's doing some sleuthing right now. She's trying to solve all the puzzle pieces. So that's the first thing that she discovers. And of course, through that, Dr. Ventress must have known as well because she formulated the team. And so right. she's really just trying to figure out what's going on and why are they there and what's their correlation behind it. But she's also losing her, her crap in a sense that she wants to cut open Lena to see if the same sort of like tapeworm s thing is happening inside of her. Right. Which at that point, we're understanding that she's no longer thinking. You know, she's not Sherlock's homing this right now. She's being like uh, Silence of the Lambs right now. Yeah, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah, real Buffalo Bill crap. Yeah. But it's at that point that we hear Shepard's cry coming from outside in the background, which is slightly terrifying. It's very terrifying. Yeah, it's because uh, we yeah, all know she's dead. The well, it's actually uh, Anya doesn't know that she's dead. She does accuse Lita murdering Cass, but she hasn't seen Cass Shepard's body. She didn't see any bear. I mean, you know, she's so then when we hear Shepard yelling, help me, help me. Then Anya's like, Oh, I, I guess she is alive and runs out the door to help her. And then we hear a bear growl. And yeah, I mean, the audience all knows what's coming next. Um, the right. uh, bear from earlier makes a reappearance and it's uh you know even more murderous this time <laughs> right you actually we actually get a full clear view of it because of all the whites that are on in the house and everything like that and we didn't know necessarily what happened to anya because she just went silent but the assumption is that she died and these guys are still tied up in their chairs trying to like i don't even know whether or not what was the bear Two, I have two questions towards this bear yes. and so overall on like what was going on at the time. So I'm assuming that the bear was blind. 
didn't have eyes because or else why wouldn't the bear just immediately attack these people that were sitting in, you know, if you really the bear was blood hungry as they're trying to relate it, you know, shouldn't the bear have smelt or saw these people tied up in the chairs? Yeah, I got that sense as well. That You know, yes, the bear is blind or, you know, at least they say, don't move, don't make a sound. Um, and yeah, so it's just, you know, kind of working its way around them while they're tied up. Right. And all this time it keeps opening its mouth and the sound of shepherd it's screaming is the thing that's coming out of it, which is really, <laughs> it reminded me of, I made this correlation. I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to uh, find relatable films that maybe um, Alex, the director might have drawn from, or perhaps mm-hmm. what it was trying to correlate to. And of course I already mentioned space odyssey uh, before, but there was a movie that came out in the eighties called the thing, uh, oh, yeah. which was another sci-fi film it was another type of one of those horror films where it's got you on the edge of your seat. But uh, I think that's where we're drawing from this bear creature, this scary skull. Like, I mean, this bear is seriously like half of its bones are exposed. And I don't know whether or not it was mutated with another creature or not, but it was going through some sort of horrific thing. And I may want to make sure that I drew upon the creature that showed up in uh, the movie The Thing as well, because it was just as, like, splittingly horrifying as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the the bear's super unsettling to look at. And then even worse when, uh, yeah, the voices of the people that I assume that it killed, because it is not only Cass's voice, but also it sounds like some, you know, like, men's voices and stuff like it coming out of it so i assume just anyone that it kills it gets its powers which is like <laughs> it's, i don't know if that's yeah. how it works but uh it loses like its the, eyesight and gains a voice so <laughs> right but luck like i know I, it must have been kind of like jurassic park you know like don't make any sudden moves and it won't be able to see us or our heat signature or whatever like that. I don't, I don't even know, but this bear is kind of just like playing with its prey at the moment before Anya walks back in the door. Luckily she's still alive, but, and has a gun in her hand and starts trying to fire at the bear. But that's the perfect distraction uh, for, for these three girls to be able to escape their bounds because otherwise, because she just gets fucked. Lower jaw <laughs> ripped off, man. Yeah. It's, uh... She gets, yeah, she gets killed in a really bad type of way, but uh, it's luckily enough, you know, the women managed to escape because while the bear is attacking Lena, really just kind of headbutting it and like growling about to a pounce. It's um, what Reddick, the other girl, the comms girl that. Again, just like Natalie Portman did too. Now, hopefully, Peta does not watch this film because the alligators and the bear that got killed were murderous. Super like, killed. Yeah. yeah, super killed. 25 bullets straight to the dome type of killed. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's messed up. And um, even though all this horrific crap happens, Dr. Ventress just packs up her things and she's like, my mind is going. I want to be the same person that finishes this mission that started this mission. So I don't even care about what just happened here. Like it's fucked, but I gotta go. We gotta go to the lighthouse. And for whatever reason, I mean, like I get that it was 
a big moment, but it just I, in my position, if I were there, I kind of would have just packed up my things too and would have followed her. I wouldn't want to have separated the group like they had. Yeah, no, because- me either. I think uh, Josie had already, I think, resigned herself to she wasn't coming back, and she does something kind of weird here where, I mean, she just walks off and we never see her again that, I mean, she became a plant from what I understand. Right. Yeah. So like she, I guess, so the only thing that was keeping these Lena and Dr. Ventures alive, I think at the end of it, that was keeping their, their wits about them. And I guess, in, in, in the sense of this, it's if you're able to keep your wits about you, you're able to stay alive. And it's everyone who didn't uh, basically died, I guess, except for Shepard in this example, because maybe they weren't exposed enough to the um, shimmer enough. And it was kind of just uh, she got she was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But at least for Anya and this other Reddick, right? she just kind of shows herself kind of moving out of the picture while Natalie Portman is trying to follow her. And then, yeah, we get a sense that she turns into a plant only because out of the cuts that she has on her arms, there's like leaflings growing out of, and then she just does just disappears in the air. And she, I think her last words were like, you know, um, you want to, that's speaking to Lena, of course, you want mm-hmm. to destroy, destroy this thing. And then Dr. Ventures wants to find out what it is. And she's like, I don't want either of it. So I think she just ex- accepts herself to the shimmer and becomes plant woman. I don't know. Poison Ivy. Yeah. I don't know. It just really happened all at once. I didn't see that coming, I guess. Right. I don't know. And I think if, to be honest, I think the way they should have done it and maybe it would have made a little bit more similar was the fact that she just disappeared, but she really should have just turned into one of those shrub women or the shrub. I was people. thinking that too. Yeah. Right. I, I was expecting to, to see something that looked, you know, exactly her form as a shrub. Right. It's because this, that. right. I mean, this, we understand that this is like, uh, the, uh, this is sort of like magic in the sense or unknown let's call it that i'm saying the word magic because it's a phenomenon that we don't space understand magic. space magic thank you it's a phenomenon we don't understand and we're not uh fully aware of what the it's capable of but mm-hmm. the fact that we see Shepard die we see anya we see the things that are happening to these people but none of them just blatantly disappear no one just like turns into the wind so Ventress does later uh, she well no she turns into a light she turns into yeah oh i know i was just making a joke <laughs> right but maybe that's a good yeah that, i mean but we understand that i think we think that the director alex there missed uh missed the point there but now it's natalie is on her own and Ventress is long gone she's i'll continue with the missing so what does natalie have left to do but just to march forward and keep going right yep can only go to the lighthouse from here and right um, exactly i thought this by the way when she gets she gets to the shoreline and of course the shoreline in the distance she sees the lighthouse and that so we found that she makes it to her destination but one of the coolest things at least in terms of imagery was these salt crystal trees that the world creates in on the shoreline because the salt 
water reverberates back to a crystal light and then the crystal mutates with the plants and it turns into this crystal tree. I think that thing looked awesome. Yeah, those were very cool. And yeah, I think, I mean, as, as I guess the vegetation and animals, as you're getting closer and closer to this lighthouse, things are just getting like more and more otherworldly. I mean, you know, some of the, like the, uh, foliage and stuff that we saw at the beginning of the movie you could believe that maybe you would see that in like some swamp land you know yes it's very overgrown but <laughs> now that we're getting to the lighthouse uh, it's, I guess it's, you're right there's like salt things, crystal trees and things like that it's crazy good observation yeah it's one one time you know earlier in the film it's believable but now it's not believable it's, it's become it's way too it's way too uh just impossible to happen wow. so we just know how basic biology and we understand how the world works in a sense so it just can't happen but the weirdest thing is is that uh in this scene and i want to ask your opinion slash maybe understanding of it was natalie portman is about to enter the lighthouse and before she does she sees four or five body bones that's like skeletons essentially but the skeletons are dismembered and laid out weirdly uh, across the sand, like the spines are separated together, the heads are separated together, and all the arms and limbs are lined up, separated. And again, these are just skeletons, not the flesh and grossness of that. But who right. were those people? Were those the remainder of the team, or uh, who was? I didn't understand quite. And maybe was that I was understanding? Maybe was was that supposed to be some sort of omen to? intruders coming to the lighthouse being like don't come in here this is you know beware kind of thing yeah i can't say for sure um i mean yes i i think there were four skulls that i counted and a lot more bones underneath those skulls i don't know if it's because natalie portman was on a you know team of five and you know now she's seeing a you know three others are gone Ventress is it, or oh, no. yeah. it also could be that maybe it was uh kane i mean you know he's the only the other person who seems to have reached this lighthouse maybe he brought along the uh remains of his team i don't know but that would right. make, yeah well, i don't know i don't know it could be it could be because you know like uh, time is an illusion in the shimmer right because who's to say you know, they set up camp and everything like that at the beginning of the film, but no one remembers setting up camp and they've been there for three days. So, you know, who, who's to say that, they're, you know, Kane didn't do that just, you know, because, like I said, you know, time's an illusion and everyone's losing their, their jazz here. So, but, but I want to get to this next part because obviously this is the climactic part of the movie here, but it's when... Natalie Portman's entering the uh, lighthouse. Yeah, so she enters into the lighthouse um, and uh, discovers the charred remains of a man as well <laughs> as a video camera. Um, and yeah, she looks at the video camera and in the footage she sees her, um, you know, husband Kane telling the person who is filming him to find Lena and then pulls a pin on an incendiary grenade and chars to a crisp. Right. So yeah, he obviously has 
Well, well right. Because we're under, we're under the understanding because, right, theoretically, he, he could have been in that shimmer for a year, right? Because right. as far as we know, Natalie Portman's not had a husband for a year. But, uh, you know, Natalie Portman, her crew couldn't have been in there for longer than a few weeks. Uh, at least from what we're understanding from the food rations at the beginning and understanding about how far the trip is. But again, like I keep repeating, time is an illusion here. But it's definitely here that we learn that Kane is, you know, he's he's lost all, you know, the hope of ever getting out of this situation. And I guess commits suicide. Yeah, like he, but is, he doesn't really commit suicide because who's behind the camera other than also Kane? It was very, <laughs> it's the loop Doppelganger here. Doppelganger Kang. Yeah, exactly. This is the real uh, uh, sideways throw that the director brought in is the fact that, you know, this we, we've met this Kane before who's behind the camera. It's the same Kane who's probably dying still back at camp. And Natalie Portman realizes this too, and her actual husband is now charred to a crisp. So extraordinarily uh, devastating for Lena. And the only thing she has left to do is that she emerges, or she sorry, descends into the uh, hole that that crater made through the lighthouse because there was a ginormous hole uh, in there as well. And through going down there, that's where she also comes across Doctor Ventress again. Yeah, and Ventress seems to be losing her mind a little bit here too. Um, right. Well, the thing is, is like, do you see her where the camera's pointing at Ventress, and we see Natalie Portman entering, and from the back, she's just kneeling, looking at the wall, kind of, you know, maybe in a trance-like state. But from our vision, when now when she, uh, Dr. Ventress lifts up her head, she has no eyes. I saw that as well, and I was expecting, you know, when she turns around to face Lena, that she would still have no eyes, but then has them back. And so I wasn't sure if maybe I, you know, saw something wrong, but it, okay. Right. I think it was it, a damn confirmation. No, I, that is confirming that she did not have eyes. And wh- why I don't understand 100%. Um, it's whether or not, you know, she had undergone the full mutation of being there or maybe that that is her transient state that she was in. Because when she was first walking in there, I mean, she's basically speaking to herself. And then when right. finally she gets a hold of no, no, Natalie Portman says like Dr. Ventress and she turns around and it seems like Dr. Ventress can't remember anything that was going on. She, she was like, you just said something. What was it you said? And then from that point, she uh, she does another transformation. Matt, do you want to tell, <laughs> do you want to tell us a little more what about what happens to Doctor Ventures? Yeah, I mean, she ate the hottest hot sauce and uh, <laughs> fire <laughs> and light, literally just oh, spews out of her mouth. Um, <laughs> Give me some milk. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it, it basically just uh, comes out of her mouth and maybe every other orifice. And yeah, she, I mean, she just turns into a glowing ball of light, light and energy. I don't. Um, right. It's very strange. It's, all, it's and more to this art aspect of this film. And it's, yeah. It's, and it's 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 not just normal art; it's symmetrical art. 
So it's the thought of like DNA. What's the, um, uh, there's a term for it, but it's just the fact that it's a, a continuous rotation of the same things happening over and over and over again, like a double helix on a DNA, you know, it's always going to be that same double helix going and stuff like that. But, um, when she (laughs) throws up this glowing light, which also like takes her life with her, she's like, I don't feel good. And she just disappears (laughs) into light. I don't you can feel see- very good, Mr. Stark. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's um you see the orb that forms is this orb that it's like a open mouth. So it opens up the light, but then the light comes back around and comes back into itself. Yeah, that so was kind of cool how it was folding in on itself. Exactly. So and Natalie Portman, of course, is in this trance-like state seeing what has just happened to her. And this is where I make the comparison to uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey when um, the astronaut is basically going through the black hole and seeing everything that for what it is. And uh, not necessarily his changing in himself, but all these, you know, the imagery, the light, the fast motion and all that very in your face type of, you know, color schemes and things along those lines that's kind of what's happening here with natalie portman too is this fact that no this like i was mentioning earlier about the music the music's very distorted and it's giving off this uncomfortable sounds that are just kind of doesn't make it doesn't have any sort of uh, continuing i don't know rhythm or you know melody it's very just like robotic almost i can't even describe what the i looked up earlier trying to find out what instrument they use to make those noises and i couldn't find it unfortunately (laughs) of course yeah i don't think it was an actual (laughs) like oh sir that's a bassoon you're hearing oh yes yes of course it is but no but there is i've looked into horror films before because you know those like screechy noises that always come in at very inopportune times of horror movies when they kill you know the killer is just around the corner yes. there is an actual like machine looking like organ metal contraption called an instrument i don't know what it's called but it's used <laughs> specifically for horror movies just because of the array of noises like it's like a foley artist it's just the array of noises that it can make in order to capture the i guess the the moment that horror movies that you want it it makes the viewer uncomfortable and that's exactly what's happening here. Not just it, both visually and uh, audio. It's just very uncomfortable to look at and uh, listen to. Yeah. Speaking of uncomfortable to look at, um, a little bit of blood, you know, comes out of Lena's eye and goes into this giant glowing black hole. Um, and yeah, from that, uh creates a humanoid kind of copy of Lena. I mean it's not copy in that it doesn't look like her exactly, but it's 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 a humanoid kind of entity. And right. uh it's just mimicking all of Lena's motions. It's like it's trying to learn, you know, or it's trying to become her, basically. I think so too. And maybe I'm pretty sure that has to do with, of course, her DNA getting entrapped into the, you know, the chemical code 
of whatever was happening in this orb thing, this recurring orb. So, yeah, she leaves this cave. She exits where the meteorite came, and she ascends back up into the lighthouse. But, of course, the humanoid beats her up there, and she tries firing a gun at it. The guns can't kill it. Uh, nothing can really yeah, kill Yeah, she tries to hit it with a tripod, and it knocks exactly. it down. Exactly. But so lays in the same way as she's laying after she's knocked down. It's all very... It was weird. <laughs> it, it was very. It was like a dance of coming to an understanding of like what this thing was. And necessarily wasn't harmful. It was only mimicking whatever Natalie was doing. And of course, Natalie decides to fight first. And so with her getting hit with the tripod, but then also trying to escape through the door, only to be crushed between the door and this humanoid that's pressing up against her. You know, because that's exactly what she's trying to do. It's, uh, yeah, she is basically almost, almost killed. Like, right? She almost gets passed out, knocked out, just bleeding more than what she was prior. And only in understanding that, you know, this humanoid is copying her, that she manages to go find another incendiary grenade that Kane must have carried in his baggage that he had next to his charred body and is able to pass it off to the humanoid and lights it. But, uh, yeah, we can, at that point when he, she hands the humanoid, the grenade, that's when their first, I guess, touch of the, like official touch, not just the fighting that they just did, but the hand to hand, the fingerprint touch. And from that, it's not just this, I think the blood was to make the, humanoid but it was from the initial touching that the humanoid started to look like lena started to look like natalie portman and that's what truly started to freak her out and i think that's what happened with kane's doppelganger and uh but you know kane's doppelganger survives and lena tries to incendiary the uh humanoid her copy essentially she escapes the lighthouse and the humanoid, I guess, doesn't copy her in that sense, but it under- doesn't understand what to do at this point and burns down with the lighthouse. And from whatever anomaly that was taking place in the shimmer here with the burning of the lighthouse and the burning of the humanoid, uh, all the things that were happening to around them with the mutations all start to go away. We first see that through these crystal trees that were on the shoreline, they start right. to melt away. All starts and breaking so, down, yeah. Exactly. So we're, we have this understanding that the mission was completed. Right. Yeah. Um, and well, here, let's, I guess, we'll get through Wrap this at the, the very end of the film, and then we can talk a little bit about it. Sure. And so, yeah, it's, um, the whole film, I guess, kind of revolves around these, interviews between lena and uh uh benedict wang wang and yeah so i mean she um the interview reveals that uh kane has recovered you know after the shimmer uh vanished and collapsed and so yeah lena goes to visit him and um as they're sitting down together she asks kane uh well she asks are you really Kane? And then he replies, I don't think so. Um, he asks if she is Lena 
and she doesn't say anything. They hug each other, and then you can see Kane's irises shimmer a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the camera turn shows Lena, and her irises shimmer. So that's where yeah. we get credits. Exactly. So it does leave it ambiguous, which honestly makes me want to read those next two books to kind of see if they have any correlations on, like, you know, further continue the story at all. But it's to leave the movie ambiguous, and though even though the shimmer is gone, it's not really destroyed. It's now going to live through Lena and Kane, who are now, even though Kane is the humanoid, this and we'll call him Imposter Kane. This the guy that was in the hospital is an Imposter Kane. It was the humanoid that first came, you know, across Kane in the lighthouse because the real Kane's dead, but. Natalie Portman still manages to make it out alive, but neither, but the humanoid does it. So it's a little strange in the sense that like, I understand that both of them being survivors of the shimmer, they um, carry the shimmer gene, I guess necessarily, but um, I don't know. It's uh, to think that now she uh, is going to be like Kane in the sense that, you know, I, it's just like a mutated form of the original person. They they're different, but they're also the same. It's kind of strange. And uh, but I do want to talk about going back to what was happening here at the lighthouse because it, it really does take a kind of um, behind, just like further delving deeper into necessarily what was going on and what did the humanoid represent or what what was the even the point of the shimmer altogether because at the at the end of the day all that we can really sum up was that it wasn't trying to be destructive but it was trying to bring on some sort of change whether that was you know intentional or unintentional yeah it, it, you know right and i think they say that in the movie too that it wasn't trying to destroy it was trying to yeah change i guess kind of push forward um the you know cellular uh change and growth and evolution but yeah they, i mean that once we got to the lighthouse i feel like the movie lost me a little bit i don't uh, how did you feel about that did you like the ending um uh, I didn't like the way it ended. So the fact that you, I didn't like the fact that it l- was left ambiguous. So not to the point that, like, you know, that's fine that Kane and Manly Portman are now, like, you know, still affected. That's fine and everything like that. But there was just no real, um, you know, they went there to go save the world, essentially, or from what they thought was to be dangerous. And it just kind of was, I was underwhelmed in the sense that like, what was really accomplished here, you know, what's going to happen with these two new characters now? And, um, you know, is it, where, where are we going to go ahead towards now? There's no, there's nothing that's giving you a, okay, at least, you know, we can understand this is what's going to happen next. We don't, you don't have to give me all the details, but at least I know this is what's going to happen next. No, this just ended with these two guys affected and now like what does that mean for the rest of the world you know are they going to keep spreading that wild that worldwide change like are they going to get captured what's going to happen i don't know 
But in terms of what was happening at the lighthouse, it was hard to kind of understand and wrap your head around it and understand what the whole point of it was. But I think at the end of the day, this is just an unidentified, you know, object that came from space. And the fact that it landed here and like on earth, it's, you know, all it was doing was just trying to survive whether or not it was like a living entity or just this, you know, shimmer, you know, energy that was being exuded from the meteorite. But it's just kind of like what, you know, uh, you can say like what humans do, you know, we cultivate a new land and then we make the land our own. And so this shimmer was just making sure that whatever it was doing, it was changing the landscape to make it habitable for it. At least that's what my basic understanding was of what the shimmer is and what its goal was. Yeah, I get that. I just, I feel like I was, I was on board with the movie up until I think right after the second bear attack. I think it was as soon as like Josie is dispatched of, you know, by turning into a plant or the wind. And then I didn't. (laughs) I didn't understand what happened with Ventress exactly, but you know, I also, you know, I didn't expect to, you know, be told what happened with her. But I just have no idea what happened there. Um, Yeah, I think they went a little too phantasmic with the fact with their endings. Like one just disappears, and then one turns into light when everyone else's death was much more understandable like you know getting attacked by a bear (laughs) they got killed by something but now these two just literally got killed by existing you know by being or like accepting their fate i guess it was literally like both of them had an acceptance of fate that killed them yes and that i can understand but it's, yeah, are, are we to believe that the reason that Natalie Portman is alive is only because she, you know, had the desire and the will to survive and go home? Like, that's the only reason. She, like, just you know, if she ever had one flinting doubt of like, oh, man, I'm never going to make it out of there. Was she going to turn into light? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's what they're trying to tell us. But then, I mean, are we to understand that Kane had kind of given up at that point? I mean... And he was the one with the incendiary grenades. Did he not know well, that those he, could he, kill the alien? No. I Well, okay. Well, the thing is, is that that incendiary grenade didn't kill the alien. It, it didn't because it went off and it was still standing holding the grenade even after Natalie Portman left. It was right. just we were to assume that it got destroyed because the lighthouse destroyed. And with the, you know, the trees burning down and everything like that, that was kind of our, like, understanding. But, um, you know, bullets didn't kill it. The incendiary grenade really didn't kill it. So, I mean, we assume it's dead, but we never got, you know, there was never a dead body that we saw. We never saw it die. And, and, um, I think the important thing is, is that the fact that, you know, uh, the only reason the humanoid ever came in contact with Lena 
and the world and everything like that was the fact that the last thing Kane said it was like make go please find Lena go find Lena and somehow manages to make his way back to the house where she's listening to Crosby Stills and Nash. Yep. Yeah. So well, maybe he came just for Crosby Stills and Nash. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um yeah, I mean it's a it's a strange film. It is. And it has its moments yeah. where it leaves a little maybe too unknown out there, a little maybe too much I mean, I'm always going to believe that, you know, if the movie ends in a way that leaves it up to the audience, that it's up to their own interpretation. And uh, I love when movies do that, but I do think that all the pieces need to be in place in order for some to give the audience member enough clues in order to give them like a few sets of what what could it be, what it might be talking about. And uh, now do I know exactly what this film was missing no, not really off the top of my head, but uh, it did miss. There were few cogs in the machine that were missing for us to kind of understand where might the movie be ending up next? What was the humanoid and what did it really have to do? Um, like with its purpose being like on Earth, you know, wasn't meant to destroy, wasn't meant to do whatever. We don't know. But at least, you know, I don't know. It just... uh it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, now that we know that this is, you know, part of a trilogy of novels, maybe, uh, maybe that would help if I just look up the <laughs> plot of the uh, second and third books of those to give me a little bit of closure about. And that's, you know, even assuming that the end of the movie is anything like the end of the first book, it might not be. Um, right. I don't, I, yeah. I, I want to look up what these books are and figure out maybe, maybe you know, that it did come to a better conclusion. Maybe we just didn't have enough pieces. Another like trilogy that does this to me that I know the books were great, but the you know the movies were terrible. You remember the dragon movie Aragon? Oh God, yes, I do. Right, amazing book series. About I think it was three books. Three. It was a trilogy book. But, uh, you know, the movie just didn't deliver like this movie didn't deliver. And so instead of maybe understanding it further and delving into the second film, they just cut their losses. Yeah, they just gave up after one movie, which that's always interesting when, you know, there's plans for a franchise and it just bombed so hard that (laughs) cut after one movie. Exactly. Which, so yeah, I don't think well, that's the case with this movie. I think I don't I don't think that the second and third books were ever intended to be adapted, but man, it's uh it is funny when you see like I think um you remember that Tom Cruise mummy movie that came out a couple years back? Yeah, yeah, the not the not good one. I remember it no, was like the not a, good one. It was, uh, it was the mummy, wasn't it? It was it was the mummy or it something was just called the mummy. Mind. Yeah. Right, but it was like a female mummy now. Which it was, I don't know. Uh, I always thought, you know, bring back the bald head guy, bring back uh, Himotep, Himotep, <laughs> and Brendan Fraser. Man, that guy needs some work. Oh my gosh, that man's let himself go as of late. He's not the beautiful man he was back in his twenty thirties. <laughs> He's not Encino man anymore. Um, no, he's not. But, but uh, the reason think- I bring what? up the mummy is that. <laughs> Universal had a, a whole plan for their dark picture 
anthology franchise. So they were going to do a, you know, 2020 refresh of Frankenstein, uh, you know, 2021 refresh of like the Wolfman or something. And the mummy bombed so hard. They were like, never mind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but that's the problem with this film, I think, is that um, the, first, the first book has enough juice in it in order to carry itself. And although there are missing questions and answers and stuff like that, there, there's enough of an understanding for us to kind of maybe make our own sort of what happens next for the plot. But um, what really happened here was the fact that we probably had a trilogy here that just didn't, you know, make it in the box office. Cause Hey, okay. Is this director Alex, you know, his budget was $50 million and he made a hundred million dollars off of that. We could very, very well be seeing a second annihilation film. You know, if it's if it if it knocked it out of the park, they might have continued the whole series. But that was never the case. We'll never know, uh, and we just gotta be happy with what we had there. I think this movie, <laughs> I think this movie had a lot of things going for it. I think the cast was great. I think the imagery was great. I thought I think the music score was fantastic. Even though, like I said, it made me uncomfortable at times, but that's what they were trying to paint. Yeah, that was movie. the intent. That was the intent, so it did its job. So. I got nothing to be sorry about that for. But uh, plot-wise, there are a little bit of things here that we were kind of confused. Maybe it takes a third or fourth watching in order to fully grasp it, or uh, or maybe another critic's understanding to get another, you know, like a, a second opinion of what it might have been. But um, in my book, in my book, I call it a good one. I call it a good one, and uh, I'm glad we're delving into the sci-fi world because that's where. I think that's where we get to like really open up the like a, a creativity ability of some of these directors and you know what they can take from a screen you know a hundred page screenwriter uh, like a screenwriting and turn it into something amazing. Oh yeah, I think so too. I mean, I love sci-fi movies, if only to see what some of these you know visual effects artists can do. And it right. seems like with sci-fi is where people get to really flex their muscles, but. Yeah, I, I am glad that you, you chose Annihilation for this episode because I had always meant to see it. I mean, ever since it, you know, came out on um, Netflix internationally, like I said, I, you know, I thought maybe I would go and try and, you know, VPN and watch it there. Didn't end up doing that. And so it's just always been one of those that I have meant to see. So I'm glad I finally saw it. I may not have loved it as much as I thought it would, but yeah. the, it's got a lot of got a lot of good things to it. Um, right, like even if it doesn't have the plot that you wanted it to be, it had the, it had the elements to make it something good. Yeah. So, listener, I would say that if you can easily access Annihilation, go ahead and watch it. I mean, if it does come back up on Netflix or Amazon prime or what have you, um, I think it was actually on Hulu recently, but we've taken off. We can probably um, make a mention of that in our social media or something like that. I'll make a, we can all we'll make a list or something like that. Of movies that, you know, aren't necessarily easily accessible, but we've talked about before. We'll yeah. come back to you at one point and let you know if ever those things come onto a major streaming like Hulu or Netflix. So that way, 
if you hadn't had an opportunity to watch it now you have watched you can watch it then yeah that's a good idea um but yeah so i am glad that i finally saw it so thanks for bringing it to the show hey no problem no problem glad you uh, glad you liked it enough to uh sit through it and you know share share it with laura and everything your girlfriend and the mm-hmm. but uh if anything i do want to say the fact that and we mentioned it earlier sci-fi has just a freaking open door to the, uh, the possibilities that could come up next because we always know the stories have been there for star wars and blade runner and dune and now we have the cgi to actually visually show those things to everyone in a much more you know fantastic type of way so it's only up and up here and going for sci-fi films and uh frankly i'm excited to see dune this year yeah it's exciting times i'm all for it as long as they don't go back and keep on like digitally (laughs) uh altering the past movies that i love i'm fine with the remakes right yeah so start from scratch don't don't go and change something just you know i hate when movies do that but you know (laughs) i guess you got to do it for the dinero, right? How many versions of Star Wars are there now where they just change <laughs> who shot first? <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing's better than the Star Wars Christmas special. So, uh, you know, <laughs> Merry Christmas and may the fourth be with you. <laughs> All right. If you want to follow us on social media, check out some of the past movies that we've covered and maybe the future movies that we're going to cover. Then uh, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at that movie was. We also have a Twitter if that's more your thing. That's at underscore that movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, Check us out. Check us out. That's where the magic happens. And you can also hear little snippets if you're trying to show people about you know what we sound like and some of our <laughs> amazing wits and unfounding knowledge of movies and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But at least, you know, you'll get a little taste to show off to your friends just in case you want to give them a little sample of what we're dishing out here instead of going to a full episode. But do follow us. We take some good things online. And we'd love to get comments and feedback from you guys about movie suggestions, maybe your thoughts or opinions about the film. So feel free to share. Definitely. Yes, yes, please. Any recommendations that you guys want to give us? We are always looking for something new to watch. And that's why we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's been our episode on Annihilation. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe, check out some of our past episodes. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think sci-fi, we have a lot more movies to go that are going to be in the sci-fi realm. Cause I think it's <laughs> both true. of our favorite genres. So. <laughs> if we haven't, yeah, we haven't said it enough right now, but yeah, if you're looking for sci-fi, we're going to be dishing that out more and more. So yeah, yeah put your, uh, put your nerd glasses on. We're going to stay. All right. So until then, take care of yourselves, and we'll be back next time. Stay frosty, audience. Catch you later. Bye.